Your focus, what it is you are intent on, determines your destiny. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a part of a series we've been doing on spiritual warfare, going through Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We're praying this is useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Text is from Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at supplication for all, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stephanie sent a quick text to me yesterday. And she said, what's the title for the sermon? Well, I don't usually title sermons, not until I'm afterwards usually, if I do at all. And I don't usually. And then I, I was thinking in the air, I was kind of wrestling. And I was like, oh, I know what it is. The true power of positive thinking. The true power of positive Thinking, yeah, I thought I'd take a different direction today. I thought I'd be a self-help speaker this morning, not a pro, not a proclaimer of God's word, but just uh, just somebody to cheer you along the way and help you get by. Now that would be a waste of your time, I'm afraid, and it would not be what you came for. I hope, and it certainly wasn't what I was sent for. But uh, but. But there's something about it. You know, uh, actually, people like to quote a Bible verse about this. As a man thinks, so he is. Have you heard this before? As a man thinketh, so he is. doesn't really work. It's not really about positive thinking. It's about negative thinking, actually. It means that hidden thoughts are who you really are. Who you are really inside your mind is who you really are. And that's what it's talking about. It, it, but, uh, people have tried to take that verse to talk about this subject, the power of positive thinking. But honestly, there's something to it, isn't there? There really is something to it. We know that positive thinking has been studied. Positive thinking can increase your physical health. Cortisol levels, you know, all sorts of different things that happen, depression, anxiety, all that stuff. Well, guess what? Positive thinking can help you physically. Positive thinking can often help you relationally with other folks. People enjoy being around people who are positive. 
And that's just a truth. It's just a truth. I, you know, I, uh, uh, we, we tend to avoid people who are very negative and, and, and things like that. So it can help you with your, your personal relationships. It can help you with your physical body. It can help you, I think, sometimes uh, keep going when things are tough. Just thinking about good things. Uh, uh, Paul is convinced of this. Oh, yes, he is. The scriptures teach it again and again. They really do. They tell you whatever, whatever's noble. You know what? You should think about that. What if good, truth, beauty, beautiful physics, beautiful math, beautiful sociology? Doesn't matter. Take a look around you. Thinking on those things, paying attention to those things, all that kind of, those are, that's good. That's really good. It really is. It's wonderful. It's good. And it should be done. But it has to be done, I think, the right way in the kingdom. In other words, I want to invite you into positive thinking and all of its benefits, all of its, its goodness for you, all the things I think it'll bring you into, all the defense I think it will be against the methods of the devil. We're looking at spiritual warfare and invisible war. Well, part of the way we wage an invisible war is with the power of positive thinking. That is what I am saying the helmet of salvation is. It's a thinking cap. <laughs> I just thought of that. I should avoid off-the-cuff jokes because they make me sound like a dad. All right. So, but but I want to. So, but but and I, there's another way this is actually described too. Focus. What you focus upon. One of the great. It's a great Puritan writer, uh, McDougal, and what's what he? Schoogle. Sorry, Schoogle's name was Schoogle, and he wrote that the worth of a soul. The worth of Ben, the worth of my brother Sidwin, the worth of Rochelle, the worth of their heart and their, 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 who they are, it will be determined by what they love, by what they are focused on, by what they pursue. The worth of a soul, I think as he put it, is determined by the object of its affections. I want us to figure out how to take the helmet of salvation and use it appropriately. And the way I'm going to do this is I want to focus on that word, salvation, and empty it, hopefully, of meaning, or open, uh, empty, I mean like open up its meaning so we can get all the meaning out of it. But in a sense, I think the power of positive thinking is saying this. This is, in a sense, what it is claiming. This is where it's working from. And I think this is the way it becomes so deeply biblical. Your focus, what it is you are intent on, determines your destiny. The thing that you are devoted to, the, 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 the remains in focus for your life that is the most important to you, or the most relevant, or the most sought after, whatever, whatever it is that's it, that is determining where you're going. And I say, I say destiny, I, I mean destiny... Uh, what kind of job you're going to get in your career, uh, what your spiritual life will look like, Will, and where you will spend eternity, Dennis. I mean, I mean, I thought we were going to capture it all. It has to do with destiny. What you focus on. What, are you, what, what, what is your love? It's really focus equals destiny because focus creates identity. It doesn't make sense that, for example, when you have negative thinking, it creates a negative physical result. And all the, you know, in a sense, your identity is gathered. Your identity is forged. Your identity is carved and known and opened by what you focus on. Who are you? I need to, I can figure out who you are by what your focus is, what you love, what you seek, what you want, where you're directed. 
what your mission is. What is focus? Focus is worship. That's what it is. And you all, and every one of you, every one of us, worship something with our mind. I want to say this in particular with our mind. When I mean that with our mind, we could say, oh, I don't worship that because I don't have a feel lot about it, or I don't worship that because I don't, I don't feel a sense of praise in front of my, in front of the, uh, in front of the, uh, how many of you uh, click on, uh, click on the, uh, the app that, that has, the, uh, has all of your stocks, has all your stocks and how they're performing? Yeah. I mean, click, click. I wonder how it's doing now. Click. You just clicked five minutes ago, but click. You know, well, what's going on there? What's go- That's a form of what? These are forms of and their attitudes and their actions of a mental kind of worship, a kind of obsession. I'm just thinking about these things. What I think about them. What do you think about all the time? What is your focus? I think if we were to unpack that, if we were to really discover what it is that you are glued to on that screen, we will find out what you worship. No, that's, gosh, Chris, that's kind of easy. That's not that big a deal. Well, demons know this. (laughs) Demonic strategy understands this. This is well, well known in the the spiritual world, I think. And I think it's something that has not escaped our enemy and something we need to think about now. Because our enemy, I've been thinking about, I I keep diagramming out here, diagramming for you. And some of you have gotten the uh, PowerPoints during the week. I hope they're helpful. But diagramming for you the scope of demonic work. (laughs) One of the things I realize you might miss is sometimes we mistake that the demonic efforts are only to make good men bad and bad men worse. You ever think that? It's just a matter of getting good men to screw up and making bad men screw up more. But you ought not to simplify our enemy's work. Because that is not, that is, a, that is a gross oversimplification. In fact, it can be deeply misleading. The devil is intensely interested that you become a good man or a good woman. Oh, yes, as long as that goodness is yours. And you don't need him. Right? I mean, there's all sorts of traps everywhere. And the two traps, the two demonic tactics that happen with focus are either distraction or deviation. And my distraction, I, the first one I, I say, the distraction is you have these truths, salvation, Jesus saves, he rescues, he loves, and we're going to look at all what that means. And we're looking, I said, we're looking at that. And then, and then you're, maybe you're excited here Sunday morning, and maybe you're excited about the worship of Christ, and you hear me talk about his love, and you're like, yeah, that's exciting, I love that. And then, and then, then, then you go out, and some jerk cuts you off. Runs a light. Somebody sneaks into the parking spot place in front of you. The lunch, the lunch server you had was rude. Your wife, your wife didn't appreciate that you cleaned the garage. Your husband didn't notice that you had cut your hair. I don't care what it is. But what happens? We get distracted. We get, oh, oh. And all of a sudden, we're in, the, we're in whatever it is. Maybe it's shiny, maybe it's good. And the distractions can be something shiny to play with, uh, something else that distracts us and makes us go off after it and distracts us by, or it's some new worry to worry about. How about, don't you love new worries? Don't you love it when you're given a new worry? Something you never thought about before? Something you never imagined was possible? Something you never thought that was a threat? But he, the world will give them to you all the time. People make money by creating new worries for others. They're called news anchors. 
They do this all the time. They make a living off of it. They feed you worries that you don't that you never had before, right? Distractions. 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 Pay no attention to the, you know, distractions. Distractions. Demonic tactics are constant. First is distraction from focus. But this is even more dangerous. Deviation. The ultimate champions of the good are demons. Why? Because the good is the constant enemy, the greatest enemy of the best. What am I talking about here? Don't you know that the Christian church in America was destroyed by prosperity? Prosperity is good. It is good to not be hungry. It is good to have things. It is good not to worry whether you will be bankrupt tonight. It is good to have money in the bank. These are good things, right? It is good to have a house. It is good to have a career. It is good to have a bank account. But what happens in all that goodness? What happens? And sip it in it. Oh, before you know it, that is your focus, right? All those good things are what you worship, seek, focus, love, chase, worry about. But they're all good. Maybe even just being good. Maybe it's just you're good, you've tried so hard to be good. And you're trying so hard to be loyal, so hard to be honest, so hard to be trustworthy, so hard to be an employee, whatever. The good is the greatest enemy of the best. And demonic victory happens every time a man is truly, truly authentic without him, without Jesus. And guess what? I meet these people all the time and it breaks your heart. These are real people doing good, good things. Haven't you met them? Thinking good thoughts, chasing good dreams, wanting good for other people. Ah, oh, we might be thinking, oh, maybe he is a good person. But no, he isn't. All goodness created apart from Jesus. It's just another man-made human attempt to tell him to go jump in a lake. I don't need your goodness. I create my own. I don't need God's goodness. I don't need your crutch, Chris. I've got my goodness. I'm not weak like that. I've got my focus. Isn't it odd that demonic work could be to make you the best person you ever could be? Make no mistake, the demons rejoice over good men and women who don't know Jesus. As I'm looking at this, um, well, I want to say something before I actually said that. Uh, but I wanted to get something here. It's that what I want to do is I want to take this word salvation. You'll see what I'm about to do in a minute. And all I'm going to do is just, this sermon's not even going to be that long, I don't think. I, I, just want to, I just want to reach, you ever seen a magician reach into a bag and keep pulling out silks? Like that, or do you ever see the an endless bowl of water where he's pouring a bowl into a into a into a into, and it just keeps pouring, and you're like, the bowl was empty. He just showed us it was empty. He's pouring. That's what God's truth's like. The truth of God is so rich and so beautiful. You know what it is? The truth of God that's in your Bible is actually everlasting truth. Not in that it just lasts forever. It's as big as forever. It's as big as forever. You get that? It, it, has, it has that immensity. And so, so I want to say, I want to point something here. People often think that ignorance about spiritual things is not as big a deal as ignorance about your body. You know, well, you can't be afford to be ignorant about cholesterol, can you? You really can't. You can't, be a, you can't afford to be ignorant about work standards and HR development. Your work, can you? 
You can't afford that ignorance. We know that. You can't afford to be ignorant about where these, this really comes from. This, this kind of statement started with what? HIV, remember? Ignorance is equal to death. And because you can't be ignorant of what happens with microbes and, 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 uh, and viruses. You can't, you can't afford ignorance. We know this. But when it comes to spiritual ignorance, when somebody doesn't know a Bible from a hole in the wall, doesn't know what theology is, can't define sanctification or justification, doesn't know biblical terms, doesn't know biblical stories, and so many of you don't know your biblical stories. This is the problem. Ignorance in this area is death. He was a football player if there ever was one. He was a, sometimes people think I look like a football player because I'm big. Burly and so tough. <laughs> I remember a guy led to Christ. He said to me, you know, I thought you were a roughneck, but you ain't no roughneck. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess I'm not. I just look like one. It's fine. But so did Saul. Oh, he was, head, he was, a, he was actually a head, a head tall, a head and shoulders above everybody else. You know what that means? It means his family had good nutrition. Back in those days, everybody was poor. Everybody ate poorly. If you had money, if you had money and you ate well, you sprouted up. You're tall as Dylan. You'd be out there <laughs> tall as Johnny, just walking around high and mighty, right? That was Saul. He was so remarkable that when people looked at him, that's a king. Everybody thought Samuel, who was the king, who was the priest at that time, Samuel, who was like the Billy Graham of that time, Samuel, who was the prophet, Samuel, the man of God, took one look at Saul and went, Amen and hallelujah. Finally, a king I can put my trust in. We know that because when Saul didn't work out, Samuel went into a deep funk. He thought this was it. Saul! But let's, let's focus in. We first meet Saul in the Hebrew story, and Hebrew stories are funny. Hebrew stories show, they don't tell. They show you things. They don't tell you. Don't say, hey, this guy's spiritually ignorant. He's an idiot. No, they don't say that. They just show you. So they're looking for a donkey. He's running around looking for a donkey. He doesn't know what to, can't find his donkey. I say donkey, but donkey, I'm trying to say it right. He's, he's looking for his, can't find it. But then his servant tells him, are we near the house of Samuel? Full stop. Full stop. Why doesn't this guy, why doesn't Saul know they're near the house of Samuel? Because he doesn't go to church. The whole nation of Israel was around Samuel. Samuel was the leader for everybody. They go down because the servant tells him we should go talk to Samuel. Saul doesn't even have anything for the seer. He gawks up. He's looking for Samuel. This is the place where he lives. Could you stand up for me, Peter? I'm pretty sure Samuel was a little more light-skinned than you, but not much. <laughs> but Saul walks up. He walks up to Samuel. This is what he says. Can you tell me where Samuel is? Just like that. That's it. Do you get that? Do you get the joke in the narrative? Do you get the joke? What is, what is Saul's problem? Ignorance. Now, that all sounds innocent. That all sounds playful. That all sounds like maybe he's okay. He just doesn't really know spiritual stuff. But you know what awaits Saul? Demon possession. You know what awaits Saul? Suicide. Do you know what awaits Saul? Consorting with witches. Degrading himself in a tent so that he could possibly find out if there was a threat. Yeah. 
All of that ignorance. I would see this in the South. These guys, bright young, look like little Christian guys. You, you talk to them. They look so polished and so ready to lead, but they don't know anything. They just look good, and people give them leadership. Sometimes I wonder if that's what happened to me. Anyway, that was a joke. You can laugh at that. That was a joke. Theology. Theos, ology, logos, theos, logos, is the study of God. And yes, I will say this, theology, on fire with the Holy Spirit, lifted by faith, as we're going to talk about it now, is life. Life eternal, life immediate, life now, life forever. Life. And, you mu- and I want to just fill your mind with this, this is in your heart. Fill your mind and your heart with the truths of our scriptures. Fill your heart and your mind. Take up the helmet of salvation, our positive thinking plan. Salvation. Now, actually, by the way, uh, systematic theology, which is where the organization of theology under categories by rational categories of thought works beautifully well. Why? Why does it seem to work so well? You know what it reminds me of? Systematic and organizing of theological truth by a rational framework, some predetermined framework, is beautiful. You know why I think it's beautiful? It has the same beauty that the uh, subatomic physicists will tell you. Because they go into subatomic physics, and every subatomic particle has completely lines up in perfect balance. It's thrilling. It's so minutely organized. The world is minutely, beautifully organized at the subatomic level. Who knew? How much more so the doctrine, the teachings of who God is. Yes. Yes. And because, remember, these ideas are so big. They're so beautiful. They're so immense. They're eternal. They're not eternal merely in extension, but in quality and character and everything. His rescue, his salvation is eternal. So we're going to take this first word, salvation. Do not neglect it. Right? Help has arrived. Rescue is here. Rescue from what? Not at all. I don't know. You're going to die? Rescue from death. You're sinning? Rescue from sin. You're under judgment? Rescue from judgment. The devil's after you? Rescue from... Rescue on every side of all that you are by all that he is. Praise him. What is he on the cross but all that he is for you? And all that his love for your sin and guilt and shame, for your corruption, his purity. Yes? Salvation. And it's one of those big box words. It's one of those enormous concepts by which we can pluck out tons of other ideas. And they start coming out like a flower, like a beautiful picture. They open up and they open up into beauty. Because first we are justified. Justification. There's an old handle for remembering this and I'll use it. And I use it just because I am a professional and I use it. (laughs) So why shouldn't you? Right? It's just as if I'd never sinned. Get it? Justifying? Just as if I'd... Get it? All right. There's no helping any of you. The legal pronouncement that you are not guilty for any sin ever. Past, present, future. The eternal God, yesterday, today, and forever, has said, I love this woman yesterday, today, and forever. All of her sins go on. It has all been atoned. And a forensic declaration is happening. Jesus is a phenomenal lawyer. Yes, he is. He is a phenomenal lawyer. 
and his argument is his blood. Nobody can stand against it, and nobody ever will. The act of his grace, and you can add nothing to it. You get it by faith. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I want you, all right, so this kind of thought as you grab it, as you grab it, along comes our enemy. Along comes our enemy. And you remember, he either distracts or he gives you a deviation. This is a, previ- this is a favorite deviation point. And it goes both. Actually, this is one of the most important of all of them. So he does everything he can with this one. He'll deviate and he'll distract. How does he distract? How does he distract from this idea of justification? Surely, surely you should be better by now. You use his declaration of lack of guilt as a way to abuse grace and do what you please. I know how you sinned, even though you knew he would forgive. Shame on you. Shame on you that you would go back and ask him for forgiveness. Brother or sister, please ask him for forgiveness. Where else are you going to go? Where else will you turn? I want to encourage you. That's one of those distractions. Worry about this. No. No, hear the call. There's also a deviation that happens right here. A little deviation that creeps in. Surely, Sid has to do something good for this. I mean, you know, let's, his faith is good. Yes, he has the gift of faith, and God is, God is blessing his faith. No, he's not. No, he's not. God loves by faith. And faith is nothing at all but a grabbing hand, right? Remember we looked at that last week? What was foot is faith? Grabbing hands, two hands on the truth, two hands on him. Faith is empty. It's not an act. It's not a good work. It's trusting all the good works of Jesus. The point here is there's a deviation that happens right here. It happened in the, in the Catholic church for many, many years. And I'm not picking on the Catholic church at all. Don't get me wrong. I don't, there's no reason to pick on them. There's plenty of people in that church who don't believe that. But there's a great deception that comes up. Surely there must be something you add. Surely. And, I, and our, even our own hearts were so performance-driven, right? Well, I've got to do something for God, for him to love me. What is that? It's a deviation. Now tell me, let's say, let's say into my right, way in the distance is eternity. And I'm headed for eternity. But I'm just one degree off here. Just one degree off. Well, just, well, just, just a little thing. I, I'm the one who, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn God's, I'm only one degree off. Where, where do I wind up when I get down to eternity? When I get down a billion towards eternity. What's that 1% send me? Straight to hell. I'm no longer in his blessed presence. I no longer know him. Have we, what, so what are we doing? What are we doing here? What are we, we're power of positive thinking. I'm taking on justification as mine, as the power of that thought. The power of that thought. He's my lawyer, and he argues with his blood. Praise him. Trust him. Be at ease in him. What else happens in regeneration? In salvation. Regeneration. Have you heard this word? You must be born. It is the idea that we have been regenerated, recreated. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. What does Christ himself say to Nicodemus? So Nicodemus wants to pull his hair out. You must be born again. Jesus is in the manufacturing business, folks. He makes new people. Praise him. Praise him. Ha, 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 ha. 
you don't seem that different to me. You hear that voice? You hear that voice? That distraction? You're born again, really, Johnny? Why don't you prove it? I don't see what you see. Gosh, I'm spooking myself out. Sorry. (laughs) No, what's the great, what's the demonic answer to this? The distraction. You were born this way. Aren't you okay with it? You were born this way. Who has a right to judge you? And you know what our answer is to a generation that tells us how they were born? You must be born again. Praise him. We don't let the demonic distract us or deviate us as we grasp all this beauty of his love. What are we doing here with salvation? (laughs) You know what we're doing right here? Um, How many of you ever read the Thousand and One Arabian Nights? Anybody read that? Well, anyway, if you ever read it, one of the great heroes is Sinbad. And one of the great things about Sinbad is he loves treasure. And as a little kid, I mean, he would just, you know, he loves treasure. He's always looking for treasure. And one time he's on an island, he goes into like some little sandy cave. He falls in and he falls in to this room. I'll never forget this as a kid because we were poor. (laughs) We were really broke. I remember we always needed money. We were sometimes hungry. And I remember these fantasies about jewels. I mean, saying jewels like J-O-O-L-S, jewels. You know, it's like, mm, you can feel the drool running out of your face. And these, and, and then I remember them describing this hallway and at each pillar is a chest and the chest is open and it's out of it are spilling emeralds out of one, rubies out of another, diamonds. That's what we're doing here. We're just doing this in God's eternal house. That's what we're doing. We're plundering him. We're, I'm trying to tell you to plunder the horde because it's there. <laughs> in fact, there are about regeneration. There are whole books and they would bless your soul, sister. <laughs> They're right here. Some of them are right here. Why aren't you taking advantage of our books library? Out there? You know why? That, that library starts to open up the treasures. This book is a treasure hunt. Knowing God it is a treasure hunt for the glories and beauties and love of our Savior. You got to learn to open all that, 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 open up the box of goodies in front of you. That's what this is. That's what theology is a box of goodies. And there's a box of good stuff that's going to help you against all of those thoughts and all of those problems and all those distractions and all the deviations and all the alternatives presented to you over and over again by our enemy. What's the next one? Redemption. Redemption. Oh, we don't talk about redemption anymore. You know why? How dare you use an image of transaction to talk about God and man? I find that rather offensive. Are you commodifying my, my, who I am? You're darn right I am. Because ride, Captain, ride. What the heck is that? Uh, uh, That's funny. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to incorporate that. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Um, one of the things that's happened is a, that Satan has attempted to deviate this kind of language. Actually, in New Testament scholarship, it, became, it fell out of favor to talk about redemption because it was thought of as a crass and primitive and early idea to describe an intimate spirituality. How would you define, how would you actually define intimate spirituality with transaction? That's so dirty. It's so ugly. No, it's not. It's the way our king thinks. Jesus has cherished, sought, and valued you so highly. He bought you as if you were the most expensive item 
in the universe. Praise Him. Praise Him. Plunder this. Redemption's all banned. You mission what's caused. Why slaves used to be bought Hey, how much money? Slavery, the, the language of slavery, the block. And God said, I crashed in and I bought you from me. Praise him. Eliza says, cherish, sought, and valued you so highly. He bought you. We're, all we're doing is opening up the treasures. Let's not let Satan DLS deviate by telling us that this kind of teaching isn't beautiful because he's a liar. He always has been. Reconciliation. <laughs> now, this is one a lot of people love. Oh, it's, I just want to, don't you want to get into a big hug with Jesus? Come on, let's get, let's get on in. Jesus wants to also hug on you. Jesus wants to love on you. I know you hate, always hates that expression. That's why I used it. No. And there's an idea here that, you know, that God just somehow, but, but we don't hear is whose enmity did he remove? Yours? Well, I guess so. But that wasn't what was in the brain. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't the problem that you hated God. The problem was that God hated sinners. He hates sin. He had a problem with you. And he removed it himself by the blood of his son. He removed But you know what's funny? How does the devil deviate on this? I don't know, but I, I, something that happened a lot in the PCA recently because of some embarrassing early history in the PCA. Do you know the PCA was started because a number of Southern white men did not want black people in their churches. And the PCUSA was forcing that to happen in a godly way. They didn't like it. So they joined this upstart denomination. Uh, that's kind of sad. It's a dirty secret in the PCA. But if you go to many PCA churches, you'll see a big thing. We're here about reconciliation, racial reconciliation. We're here to reconcile the nation. We're, we're here to be agents of it. And, and it sounds so good, but you know, you know what bothers me about it? Is that it is, it is one of those beautiful, good, good, good. It's so good, but it's not best. Not best. It's one of the first good things that Jesus does as a result of his work, as a result of salvation, racial reconciliation happens. It's happening in this room. It's happening around us all the time. You know? It happened in a session. Oh, babe, give it up. All right, so, and God is doing it. But what happens? People take the cart and they put it in front of the horse. They do this all the time. I don't know why. Or, or they, they take, the, ta they take the, the tail and wag the dog. <laughs> That's the wrong, the wrong way. But it's a little deviation, right? It's a little deviation, but it leads to disaster. Because we must be about Christ. He will accomplish and accomplish all of these beauties because that treasure's waiting to be plucked. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> it's waiting to be plucked all the time and held by the people of God and enjoyed. Propitiation. You ever heard this word, propitiation? You know where it really comes from? <laughs> Boy, this is nasty. That's for God saying you stink. You guys stink. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Somebody's making a sacrifice of a burnt offering, a nice lamb, lamb steak. Oh, yeah. I'm pleased with that. Is that does that sound distasteful about God? It isn't. It isn't. 
God's anger has been forever removed. No hand is raised and ready to strike. He is not ready to smite the children, his children. He disciplines, sure, but that's just more of his love. Let's ask for more of that. Don't worry, don't fear it. It's good. But this is something different. This propitiation has the idea of being covered by the God, covered by a smell, covered by something that pleases the offend, offending, the offended God, the offended deity is breathing displeasure out of his nostrils. It's a terrifying image, right? Very primitive and very biblical. Very biblical. Don't miss the treasure that the modern world, that, that the demons would have you leave behind that you are, you are covered. Jesus looks upon his daughter and his son here in their wickedness even and sees only, sees only, sees only, smells only what pleases him. His son's sacrifice for sin. Praise him. We do not shy away. We do not hold back. We do not run from the blood. No, we run for it. I will not be ashamed. I'll not preach some antiseptic gospel. No, we will preach the blood of Jesus Christ. Sprinkle over San Francisco as its hope. Praise him. We need a propitiation. Sanctification. God is working with you and through you and in you to make you holy. You've heard this word before. And this is one of the classics ones that Satan comes with a deviation. Oh, man. You're trying so hard, Frankie. Just let go and let God. You're not passive enough. Very few people will ever say that to you, Frankie. Uh, No, because you don't trust God enough. If you trusted God more, you'd be more successful. Do you you guys ever hear that kind of teaching? It's everywhere. Let go and let God. Don't, Don't worry. God is... No, sanctification was a commitment God made for you to be committed to him and working together for your sanctification. Your justification's passed. You were declared righteous, great and good. Now we're working it out, baby, and it's hard work, and we're working together, and he's working in us and through us, and it's 100% him, and it's 100% you too, and it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Praise him. Remember, because he made a new you, and there's a new you working. Praise him. It just all works together. And by the way, every part in peace feeds and informs every part in peace. Theology arises as a magnificent structure and whole, a complete whole idea for you to live in, to breathe in, to, to rejoice in. Adoption. We're almost done. One more after this. Romans 8, we have the spirit of sonship. Stopped acting like an orphan. Now, mm. I can't remember what I put, deviation or distraction on this one. I didn't. I think this is something that Satan would just rather you forget about. Just don't think about it. He didn't really mean father. Not like like your own father. Not like you like your child. No, no. Yes. But we go a little further than that. (laughs) Take a risk here. Anybody ever heard of Abba? Not not not, Not the group. Not the group. Not the group. No, no, no. The word Abba. The name Abba, it means daddy in in Hebrew. It's an ancient form of of, of a Hebrew way of Papa. So you know what I decided to do, and I'm going to ask you to do this. I think every one of you should have a pet name for God. Not, Not disrespectfully, no. I mean a pet dad name. Try them on. Try them all. I'm serious. Go home. Go alone somewhere. Call him daddy. Call him Papa, call him Pops, 
Call him dad, call him daddy-o, call him dad. I don't care what you call him. Make it a father word. And I think one of them will suit you. I don't call my heavenly father the same, in prayer the same thing I call my dad. I just don't. I call my dad dad. I tend to call my heavenly father daddy when I'm alone. <laughs> it's just something I do. But that's me. I'm not saying you need to call him daddy. I'm saying, don't you all have a, you know, call him pop-pop if you have to. I don't care. Call him, ya, call him bapu. Call him, uh, what's, a, what's an expression for grandfather in, in, in your languages? In your language. What's a, uh, yeah, for, <laughs> you're not helping me at all. Forget it. I asked for that, didn't I? I just asked for that. That's what I, that's what I get. And then final glorification. Thanks a lot, Sidwin. I am going to get you back for that. All right. Glorification. Uh, you're ugly, aren't you? I don't know. This is one of those places where, Satan, where the demons really get me. There's nothing glorious about you. What do we say if a man's standing in all his glory? What do we mean? It means he's buck naked. <sighs> but then something creeps in here to this theology that you weren't expecting. I wasn't expecting it. Something creeps in to this abstract and dusty theology that we can't account for. For it says, those he justified, he also glorified. In fact, as he talks about Peter and me and you and the church, he uses glorified in the past tense. Now, was Paul confused about tenses? Maybe he didn't understand. That's obviously stupid. But why he talks about a future state of some beautiful place, Yao Li, where you are radiant. And he uses in the past tense, as if you are now. Do you feel very radiant today? We go by feelings. I don't think any of us feel all that radiant, do we? Really? You know? I mean, Rochelle seems like she feels radiant sometimes. We see radiant people around. Not like this, though. What's going on here? The things God says he has done for you are so sure are so certain, are so written before 14 billion years ago in the Big Bang, he might as well say Jack is glorified because he sure as heck is going to be. Praise him. There is a way in which all these parts and pieces and abstractions are actually accessible and real now. In real present tense truth, these things are for us spilling out of all of his goodness. This is one of the picture I wanted to have here at the end, was just this idea of a spilling abundance, a cornucopia, an overabundance. Let's imagine, let's imagine here, if it were, all these things as just, as all each in part are all statements about you and they're all designed to be places for you to draw strength and draw power and draw hope and draw new thinking in light of the battle you're in. Because the battle goes on every front, doesn't it? It goes all around the clock. It comes from every side. And what do we have? This helmet, this idea is a, is a total salvation. Something complete and big and enormous to live in. Like a mind palace for the soul. Like some place for us to live in joy and worship. To create new worship. And to give to other people. We are to be blessing each other people with these truths for them. 
This is why discipling and accountability and our connection with each other is so vital. Because to grow in Christ is for you to impart these beautiful definitions and truths to others all the time. And to share them and to, and to, and to cherish them and to, and to give and to listen to them and, and to direct other people to this message or another, whatever it is, so that we can be a part of this. The spilling beauty of God, the, the abundance of our Savior, a love overflowing. <laughs> that we would overflow too. And we pray for you to the praise of his glory. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I think this changes you. I, uh, let me share something else. It's almost like a diamond, isn't it? Um, when, we, when we first got married, and uh, the first, even up till now, Every once in a while, I'll look over in the car or whatever, and, and she'll be doing this. <laughs> and she'll be, she'll be turning it slightly. Like, I'm looking, I'm thinking, it doesn't do that for me. I just don't, it's pretty, but yeah. Now, I like to think she's thinking of me. That whole time. But I don't know. I choose to think that, okay? Let me. Isn't what my wife doing that what we as the church are to be doing? Like, isn't that, isn't that what this teaching is? It's like our seal. It's like a, a, it's like a beautiful diamond given to us by our Savior for us to look at and go, oh, he loves me. Look how much he loves me. Look, here's another facet of his love. Oh, wait, I see another one. Isn't that what our Savior's given us in these truths and how beautiful they are, how, how, how present they are, how true, how available, how beautiful? And I think each one of us could learn from my wife in that, that we will go to our father that way. We'll go to his truth that way and we'll live in it and we'll love it. Because remember, focus, focus, what you focus and stare at and look at, what does focus do? Determines your destiny, your identity. Oh yeah, it's your worship. Praise him. Let's go pray. Father, I love you. And thank you for your word. And thank you that your word has so much, so many treasures for us. And we act, we walk around acting like beggars. We act around like we don't have anything. We walk around like our faith is not rich with intellectual history, beauty, magnificence, structure, intelligence, wisdom, insight. It's everywhere. And we scrape around watching YouTube. We are distracted and we deviate. Call us. <laughs> Call us to renewed focus. Holy Spirit, pour out on us a renewed focus on our salvation and all of its richness. <laughs> uh, Father, I pray that the message and its parts and pieces today would have encouraged some and, 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 and emboldened many and, and would give us new joy in you and a new, a new ability to stand in this battle when fiery arrows are flying and when, when our enemy is trying to either distract us or get us off track. No, Father, we worship you and your Son, no, Father, we thank you and your Son for dying on the cross for sinners and being a blood that, 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 that covers and propitiates and reconciles and redeems, covers and sanctifies and justifies, glorifies, adopts, oh, <laughs> regenerates. Yes, I pray for if anybody who doesn't have all that work done in them yet, I pray it happened today. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 
Oh, look here. Here's another one. Here's another, here's another way the diamond's turned, right? Here's another way the beauty of the, of his glory, of, of his beauty is turned again, right? So, so some of you were like, gosh, Chris, you talked a lot and I don't understand shun words. Okay. If you don't like all those shun words, Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he didn't use the word salvation, did he? No, he's very, very clear and practical. No shun words. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. This is how simple. Focus, focus, everybody. Here it is. On the night he was betrayed, he also took a cup of wine after dinner. And remember, he poured wine in it. And he said, he didn't say, this is my redemption. He didn't say, this is my propitiation. No, he said, this is my blood. So everybody would understand. This is the blood one shed for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink. If you eat this bread and drink this cup, what are you doing? You're grabbing the whole diamond for yourself. Just in these little pictures. The whole treasure chest is yours. The whole treasury is yours in Jesus. So that's why every week this is a part of our worship and it culminates our worship and it responds to the word of God. And this is faith. And if you come to new faith today, get up to this table. If you know Jesus is your savior today, get to this table and trust in him. Do not delay. Yes. All right. So what are we going to do now? Um, we're going we're to stand. Let's stand. We're going to proclaim the mystery of faith. And then we're going to say the Apostles' Creed. And then we're going to sing a song. And as we're singing... I want to invite you to come forward to take the bread and wine back to your seats. We'll take it together as a community. Because remember, we actually take all these truths as a community and for one another and with one another. That's why we do it this way. It's uh, communion is just a, it's a diamond itself with a thousand facets. But here it is right here. We're going to, we're going to celebrate. And then we're going to be done and have a benediction. And then we will have picnic together Enjoy, and that, our worship will continue. Will you proclaim to me now with joy the mystery of our faith? Christ, Christ, is, Christ, is, risen. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. So tell me then, Corey. Tell me, Melody. Tell me, Christians, brothers and sisters. What do you believe? Because I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.